Welcome to episode 351 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that will dedicate this show to the haters out there. You know who they are, the guys who are always on pin side complaining about this show. And I love it. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening in to every episode. I don't think we'd be number one if it wasn't for all the people who can't stand listening, yet can't stop listening. So thank you, all of you out there. You know who you are. You're like sitting back in your rocking chairs right now. You're like, damn it. He knows I listen to every episode. So here's the deal. Um, You know, I saw someone saying like, he's not responding to something else that happened in the pinball world. I'm just going to say it like this. If anyone wants to call me out or say stuff about me on other pinball podcasts, that's totally cool. Here's the deal. They can email me at canadapinball at gmail.com and they can come on the show and they can air whatever issues they have and we can discuss it like grown men. But I don't really care. I don't have too much time to listen to all these other pinball podcasts, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to go down a list of what's going on in the pinball world. The main topic I want to talk about today is pinball streaming. I want to give you some of my thoughts about it because I saw someone put up an interesting thread about pinball streaming and whether or not they think it's good for pinball, all right? But first and foremost, I want to congratulate somebody. Uh, Something really cool happened. It happened in my hometown in New York City. I want to congratulate uh, Crazy Levy. It's it's Crazy Levy, right? Not Levy. Um, On getting certification for the New York City Pinball Championship. And I think the reason why this is big is you have to understand, pinball was once banned by New York City as a gambling device, okay? Then we all know Mr. Sharp hit the shot heard around the world. Uh, But I wanna read what he wrote on Pinside and just say, good job in getting the recognition I think pinball deserves because this is one of the greatest cities for pinball players. I mean, you don't have to own a pinball machine if you live in New York City. So he wrote, today is a truly uh, monumentous day in pinball history. From once being banned in our gleaming metropolis, 43 years later, pinball is now not only legal, but officially recognized and decorated by the city of New York. Behold, the official citation issued by City Council Speaker Corey Johnson celebrating the New York City Pinball Championship 2019. We couldn't be happier that the greatest city on earth is recognized as one of the greatest pastimes, this has recognized one of the greatest pastimes, the silver ball. And no, I didn't write this beyond some suggestions. Uh, Okay, someone over at the city council did some amazing homework and had some fun with this. So, okay, so here's the deal. If you want to go to the New York City Pinball Championships, it's May 17th through the 19th, and you can get your tickets at nycpinballchamps.com. And no, I will not be attending, and there will be no disruption. I hope we can finally bury the hatchet. Everyone involved. I mean, I think Levy and I are probably two of the most outspoken pinball personalities in New York City. Uh, I actually look forward to having a beer with the dude one day soon over at Adam's Place. He'll know what I'm talking about, and Adam will as well. All right, so here's here's what I want to talk about. Pinball streaming, is it good or bad? And I saw someone raise this question, and it's kind of like saying, is YouTube good or bad, or is the internet good or bad? And I think it depends on how you look at it, okay? Now, look, I don't think pinball streaming is like inherently a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Uh, I, I think there are lots of different kinds of pinball streams that are out there. And if you, so I think you have to look at this from, a, from, a, from a different angles. So one angle is this, you know, if you want to see a game and be surprised by playing it for the first time, then watching someone play the game for three to four hours will most likely ruin your surprise of the game. 
Now, I don't think people tune in to pinball streams if they want to be surprised because then you're like, it's like spoiler alert, you're already ruining the game for yourself. I think people tune into a game to see how it shoots. I think that is just, you know, but watching how it shoots does not convey how you will feel when you shoot the pin, okay? But here's my thing. Here's the most important thing for me. I think streaming a game before it's done is my big issue with pinball streaming, all right? That is my number one issue. Name me one other industry that does this, that shows the world the product before it's complete, right? Before it's done. I want to give you a good example of this because I do think you only get one chance to make a first impression. I watched Cosmic Carnival by Suncoast Pinball being streamed on YouTube. They put up about like a nine minute stream of the game, all right? After three minutes, I turned it off. Why did I turn it off? Well, game's clearly not done. There's no call outs whatsoever. It's a pretty boring stream. You can watch after two minutes, you get the entire thing. There's no reason to even watch eight minutes of it. So why am I seeing this game with all these inserts and all these apparent modes, yet there's nothing in the game yet? So you've shown me the game and I just see a few orbits and a few ramps. And now what I, when am I? I'm just bored. I, I, I saw something, I didn't like it and I'm beginning to formulate a negative opinion about it. And so if you're going to stream your product and your pinball game to the world, wouldn't you wait until it's done? And, and I think that's my big issue. I think a lot of stuff we see is a work in progress. And, and I, I don't think that's ever been beneficial to any pinball company ever, ever. Uh, and so I, I think that's one of my main issues, right? Uh, so what else? Do, I had a little notes here too. I don't really do notes. So very few games, um, could you can't really formulate a hard, I'm going to buy this or not buy this based on a stream. You still have to get time on a machine. If you don't buy a game because of a stream, uh, that stream must have shown you something horrendous. Uh, but also if people if, are having fun on a stream playing a game, that also does not mean that you will enjoy it. But I think people could see a stream like Willy Wonka and get a sense of how the game shoots or The Black Knight or Batman or Hobbit, right? I mean, you're going to get the basic geometry down. Now, I also think that one of the issues with pinball is this. There's no game rankings system. So when a video game comes out, you have an aggregate of different media outlets, like a Rotten Tomatoes for movies, good example. There's none of that in pinball. So how do you know a game is going to be good or not before you buy it, unless you play it? Now, some of you out there have access to games early on, some don't. Some of you can get to shows, some can't. So maybe the only place you can see a game for the first time is on a stream. Now, the only games, we know this, the only games you have to rush to buy are the LEs and the collector's editions and you know anything that's limited. And that's very few, right? Very few. It's like less than 5%. I, I would say even less than that are, are the total number of limited edition games that you must move quickly to get or else you'll get locked out of buying one. And even then, the games always come up for sale. So there's really no need to have to sort of like formulate a, 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 like a, a hard line position on a game based on a stream of a game, okay? So I think the advice is always get on the machine and find if you like it or not. The other thing is this, these three to four hour streams are, are so, if you look at them just in terms of duration, it's ridiculous, right? Why, why are we watching a pinball stream that is longer than a Lord of the Rings movie? 
but the reason why they're three to four hours long is they're not intended for any of you to watch for three to four hours. It's just to give people a window of time by which to tune in, which is nice, right? So if they start a stream at seven o'clock at night and it goes all the way to 11 o'clock at night, you have a four hour window. You can have dinner with your family and your kids, get some work done, watch some sports, and then tune in for an hour and get a sense of the game, right? I know that people sometimes complain when they set up a stream and the players aren't good. Well, sorry. They're, what, do they, what do you want them to do, right? There's only something that they can like do to, to give you like a great example of the game being played. All right, so personally, I like streams. I get excited by watching a stream. I, I, don't, I don't think um, they're, I, that's, that's just me. And here's why I get excited. I like it because all the cuckoos and the nutcases that we know on Pinside and all of our pinball friends that are also tuning in, I love that it's, it's the only time in which we're all chatting in real time with each other. And usually everyone's name is what their Pinside handle is. And it's kind of fun to do that and to, to write back and forth with, with each other. It's also nice to have in real time a connection to the people who made the game. So on some of these streams, it's awesome because you're typing questions and there you have the answers from the people who are making the game. That is awesome. It's almost like within an hour stream where people are connected to the design team, you are getting more valuable information there than you would reading Pinside for a month as all these people are arguing back and forth and you have to weed through all the garbage to get to the real information. Now, there's also gonna be some garbage and trash talking on the chats. I will say this. I think that people are a little too overly sensitive in the chat area, whatever. It's the internet on Twitch. People are gonna say irreverent stuff and we're all somewhat jackasses who have nothing better to do than watch a pinball stream, right? If you have nothing better to do than watch a pinball game being streamed, uh, then then you should be allowed to be a little bit like of a, of a jackass. And I'm sorry. So, you know, sometimes I see like, oh, you're not allowed to ask them just to start flipping the game. You need to listen to, you know, the, the coder talk about the game for 10 minutes. No, I don't want to tune in and, and listen to the director talk about the movie for 10 minutes. I just want to watch the movie and talk about, the, you know, let's have a fireside chat while the movie's being played, all right? All right, so what else do I want to talk about? So, look, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, streams are a good thing. These people, and I want to say this, these people like Jack Danger and like Greg and Zach and, and you know, bro, do we even talk pinball, um, Buffalo, you know, our friends over at Buffalo, all the people that do pinball streams, all the people that strap on GoPro cameras, there is so much work. There's so much energy. There's so much effort to make it happen. I mean, Jack's traveling around the country to do this stuff for you guys. I, I think what they do is an incredible thing for the hobby. Now, if you're someone who wants to be surprised, then just don't tune in. Nobody makes anybody watch a pinball stream. Uh, so I just think the thing is this. If you're a manufacturer and you let someone stream your game before it's done, I think that's a stupid move. I think it's absolutely stupid. I think it's stupid to bring pinball machines to shows when it's not even done. I think it was stupid for Charlie to bring Alice Cooper so early. I think it was stupid um, for Stern to show Batman before anything was done. I think it's absolutely inane to show your product when it's only half done. I think it was stupid that Willy Wonka was shown with only 40% code. It makes absolutely no sense. Now you have all these people wondering, well, is it really going to give me the integration I want? Well, not great. So what? You have the shots done. You have the art done. You have everything done. But the most important thing is the game's not finished. It's just not finished. You do not see movie studios allowing media to see the movie before it's finished. You don't see video games. Um, see, video games are a little different. They let media in, but they don't get to finally give their review until the game is done. 
they're embargoed. You know, you don't see car companies loaning out a car to journalists when the car is not finished. You, know, it's just, you just don't see it. And if they do do it early, they sure as hell don't do it on the internet. They sure as hell don't bring it to shows where consumers are. And they sure as hell embargo media to the point where they can't talk about it until it's final. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of, a, of, a, of, a, of an awakening and a little bit of a sort of, I don't know, people have to be more professional if they don't want bad first impressions. All right. So let's see. Let's go on now to Willy Wonka debate. So the Willy Wonka debate is going on in the thread because I talked about the CE delay until the fall and, and what that means. Now, I want to just ask all of you a simple question. If you're a fan of Jersey Jack Pinball and you want them to be successful, for this company to be successful, they need to sell these 500 collector's editions. They are going to make the most money. Jack will make more money and profit if he sells 500 CEs right away. Uh, he's going to make more on that profit margin than each individual LE and, and definitely the SE. So that's the thing is if you want them to succeed, don't you want them to do the smart marketing thing? Now, when do you think is the best time to release 500 collector's editions? Is it at the beginning of production or six to eight months after production begins? So you have to ask yourself, why is Stern able to sell five or sorry, 600 monsters in two days? In two days. They just showed the monsters and in, within two days, 600 of them are spoken for and sold. And yet Jack is not even close to selling 500 collector's editions of Willy Wonka which I've played both. It's a far superior machine. Maybe you think it's the price point that's the issue. I'm not necessarily sure it's that. You know, I really do. I think it comes down to two things. I think two things are the reason why uh, collector's editions of Wonka are still easily available and Munsters sells out in two days. I think the first thing is the weight. There's no, there's no way around this. People knew when they bought Munsters LE, they would have the game in their home within like a few weeks. Okay, now maybe it took a little bit longer, but within a month, and not just that, it's not just that, Stern can make 600 Munsters LEs quickly, right? 50 something a day they can make, maybe more of a pin, so quickly, so you're not gonna, you're not gonna watch one guy un unbox his Munsters LE and you have to wait like four months to get yours, so they go quickly, all right? There also was like, uh, you know, they also knew that you were gonna get them, you know, early on, so if I ordered one, I was gonna get my LE right after they started making pros. There wasn't gonna be like a six month delay. All right, here's the biggest thing though. And I think this is the part about selling games that a lot of people don't get. This is what Deep Root's gonna encounter. It's what everyone, this is like Stern's secret weapon. The number of distributors, all right? Because the distributors in pinball, what they really are, they're, they're a sales force for the companies. So. When the distributors are calling up their customers, they're the ones who are delivering that fear of missing out mentality with their customers. So for example, when Munster's LE is revealed by Stern, there are so many more distributors calling up their customers saying, hey, Stern just announced today Munster's LE. I'm only getting a handful. They're going really fast. Do you want one? You're gonna have to let me know today because they could be spoken for tomorrow. You know what that does to these collectors, to these men? When they feel that way, they say, I'll take one. And they just feel a sense of satisfaction that they were able to get one, okay? Now, do you think that's happening with Willy Wonka Collector's Edition? They tried to. Some of the Jack, some of Jack's distributors tried to tell people that, hey, you're gonna wanna get one because I might not be able to get you one in like a, like a few days. 
And, and then what happened? We started to see collector's editions easily for sale everywhere. It was clear that all 500 did not get spoken for. And now that people know how long it's going to take to get it, what, what's happening now? There's absolutely no urgency. There's also, when you think about the number of distributors that distribute Jersey Jack games versus Stern games, it's laughable. I bet Stern has 10 times the distribution base. So that's 10 times the amount of salespeople that are calling up customers, you know, saying, hey, I'm only going to get allocated this many. Do you want one? I need to know today. You know, it's, it's, you can't compete with that. And that's, that's a reality that Jack has to deal with. It's also a reality that DeepRoot's going to have to deal with. Stern's distribution channel and the number of distributors they have around the world, not just the U.S., the world, has a sales force that is creating that urgency, and that is why Stern games sell out so quickly, and that is why collector's editions are still sitting there and will most likely still be available come August, September, even after they show it, right? Even after they show the collector's edition, it will still be available. So I'm here to tell you that Pirates of the Caribbean, LEs, and CEs, I think, are now officially sold out. So finally, I called Automated Services and asked them about their Pirates CEs that they had listed on their website that were still available, and they said they sold the last one this week. So I think that means that Pirates of the Caribbean Limited Edition and Collector's Editions, which they made 200 of, are now officially sold out. Now think about how long it took them to sell 200 of these Pirates Collector's Editions. I mean, the game's been out for a while. Um, and so if you know of any other Collector's Editions, Pirates of the Caribbeans, or LEs that are still for sale, if you're a distributor and you have a few, can you please email me at canadapinball at gmail.com because I'd like to clarify whether or not they're all spoken for and I'd like to let any of my listeners know who might still want one um, where they can get one. So please please email me because I know it's always hard. There's all, there's all these distributors and it's hard reading Pinside knowing who still has what. And I, I don't want people to have to call around. So And here's the thing too. Now that you know they're sold out, be honest with me. How many of you are now like, crap, I should have grabbed one, right? Something simple about creating scarcity that leads a lot of the collectors out there to wish they would have moved on it. And hey, maybe you could have just bought a Pirates of the Caribbean CE and kept it in box and, and see where the market goes on it. But you know what? I want to congratulate Jack on selling everyone. It probably will go down as the rarest JJP game. Uh, but I keep hearing they're going to make more down the road. They probably will. I, I, if I was a betting man, that's what I would say. All right. So there's lots of fighting on the Wonka thread I, I saw recently. And the, you know, for some reason, pin side people can't just stay on topic. Like this is a topic about... Are you buying Willy Wonka? What happens is this. Saturday night happens, and these guys are drinking. Uh, they probably haven't had intimacy with their wives in a really long time, and they've got nothing better to do than pound the whiskey and start internally fighting with each other over pinball. It's a rich way to spend a Saturday night. It really is. I mean, there's no better place to be than on pin side, right? And so there's a lot of arguing going back and forth, and it's senseless arguing. Uh, people were arguing about the wood quality between the Munsters and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, I, I really want to go into a bar and walk up to a beautiful woman and say, hey, who do you think's got better wood quality on the cabinets, Pirates of the Caribbean or Munsters? And just watch as she slowly falls backwards and plays dead. Okay, the stuff people argue about is, is so insane. So, but here's the thing. 
I, I don't want to get into the specifics. We've seen this argument left and right all day long about quality, quality, quality. And I think there's only one question for me. Yes, there's quality of materials. But when it comes to having a quality pinball experience, there's really only one question that is the most important question that you can ask when you are talking about Stern versus Jersey Jack right now. And that question is simply this. Is your pinball machine working or not? Right? Maybe the second question is, has your machine had a lot of issues or has it had very few issues? Because when I think about quality, right? When I think about quality, if I were to think about it in car terms, it's like how many days is my car in the shop and how many days am I driving my car? That's a quality car, right? Remember Jaguars used to break down all the time. Ford used to stand for fix or repair a daily, right? And I'm sorry, but I have to say, I love Jersey Jack and I love all they're trying to do. But man, look at the Pirates of the Caribbean issues. Look at it. In my, I, I was just talking to Derek. You know Derek, our Pirates of the Caribbean fanboy? He's telling me, he's like, owning a Pirates of the Caribbean, it's a game in itself trying to keep it working properly. Just to change a simple rubber on a post, he's got to remove the entire upper play field. And he's become an expert in basically rebuilding this machine all the time because he has to keep lifting the glass and working on it. I've owned Batman 66 for two years almost. I've had to fix one thing on it. One thing. The game has worked flawlessly since I've owned it. One node board went down. I popped a new one in. All's good. Nothing ever happens. I play this game. Nothing ever happens. Maybe there was a stuck uh, uh, like target by the Joker. It worked itself out. It's been fine since. No issues. Nothing to yank. Nothing to pull out. Nothing to have to. I don't have to rebuild the game. To me, that's where quality is most important. You know, you can you can overreach and put a ton into the game, but if the machines are constantly breaking down. I'm telling you, no one wants that. Nobody wants that. All right, so let's talk about Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle. So Spooky is getting these games out the door pretty quickly. They're in the number 70s now, okay? Uh, I think Chuck said he can make something like 12 a week or 15 a week. Uh, the line is fully going on this game. Uh, I'm pretty confident Chuck is going to make all 500 of these games by fall, winter. Uh, and by the year, we're probably going to see Scott Denise's next game. Uh, and but this is you know people are enjoying this game. They're they're modding it. They're having a good time with it. They're they're enjoying the the, the code. I, I I think that you know the weight was ridiculous. I think Chuck will be the first one to tell you they probably shouldn't have done it. And they're going to learn as they go. And they're not going to show their next game until it's ready to hit the line. All right. I forgot to mention that Yellow Brick Road Wazes are getting to customers. All right. So 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 knowing that that game was on the line. Uh, when Jack showed it at TPF, you can kind of do the math because they're not tooled up yet for Wonka. So are we going to see Wonka in 60 days getting to customers? Mm. I bet within 60 days Wonka will be tooled up, but that doesn't mean it's going to go in a box. Again, they showed it too early. They just did. All right. So Batman 66. People are saying, what more does Batman need in terms of code? Here's what I think Batman 66 needs. It needs more of a light show. You've got all these lights, but there's no light show. There, never do the lights do anything that's like wow or interesting. So I think they should work on that. The crane integration, you get this big crane. It barely comes out. It hardly ever comes out. They need to work it into the game more. Uh, I want more like penguin call outs. I just never hear the penguin ever. Even when you're in the penguin modes, I don't know why we don't hear him. I and mean, you hear him a few times, but I want more penguin. 
The villain vision, is this all we're going to get? It's called villain vision, and yet you never have the villains doing any shout-outs or video clips where they're like taunting you. I thought they would have utilized that more. I don't know why it's not really doing much. Um, some people have been calling for an ultimate wizard mode. They feel that once you go through the objectives of the game and you get to the three wizard modes, there's not like a final, final wizard mode. I don't know how you would do that per se. I mean, yes, it would be great to have it. There's no way you can make it where you'd have to do all the minor villains, like all of them in every season and the major villains. It'd be too much. It'd be, it's way too hard. For those of you who have played Batman, I don't think even the best pinball players could get through every minor villain and major villain and through all the wizard modes. No, no, no. I think what they could do, they could possibly do is if you, I don't know, maybe you could do like two... Uh, if you do two of the wizard modes and you do villain escape, that unlocks, I don't know. I don't know how to, Lyman will figure it out. If anyone knows how to get the right balance, he'll do it. Um, and then the last thing I just want to ask for selfishly is for the mod couple in Yellow Bird to do something with the Catwoman ramps. Can we get a nicer Catwoman that's plastic so it's not the flat cats on top? Can we get a 3D sculpted one? All right, so let's talk about Beatles real quick. So Beatles, I think it's safe to say, did not do as well as Stern thought. They definitely priced this game incorrectly. And I'll say this. If you look at where the prices of Beatles are going now, there's still a lot of these machines, new in box, sitting at distributors. Whether it's gold, whether it's platinum, whether it's diamond, the games are not moving. There, there, there is a lack of interest at the current price point for Beatles. I still think the game looks great. I think the game is fun. I think it's a nice, it breaks up the monotony of the traditional Stern offering, uh, but it's too expensive. And I think the older demographic that is into the Beatles isn't as into pinball as much. And, and not just that, if they are into pinball, they're too wise to know that this game is not worth that kind of money. It's still a great game, but I do think they basically, they didn't give you enough. There wasn't enough differentiation between the packages. And I think for a lot of people out there, and this is how I felt, I just thought it was so obnoxious to charge what they charged for the Platinum and Diamond Editions, considering the fact that there was nothing different in the game. There wasn't another mode. They didn't do any work. They, they basically just put a cheap plaque on the game and, and, tried, and limited it in some arbitrary artwork way and then saw people paying $25,000 for a Diamond Edition. I know some people that paid that. And let me just tell you, if you paid $25,000 for a Diamond Edition... God help you. I hope you I hope you never sell it. I hope you never try and sell it because I'd be really sad um, when you go to try and sell a $25,000 uh, Beatles Diamond Edition and you get offered like 12 grand for it. You you could have bought two. Uh, you know, as opposed to like if someone bought I saw someone just bought a King Kong. Did you see that? A King Kong has changed hands. I think Troy Smith posted it on Facebook that he found one. I don't know if it was for him or for one of his his buyers. It's so cool. And it was a HEP restored King Kong. How much do you think that went for? A HEP restored King Kong. I'm going to guess, and I think I'm probably accurate, which is crazy. I think a HEP restored King Kong sells for like $65,000. Easily. Easily. I mean, I've heard people turn down offers of $50,000 for a non-HEP restored one. Would I pay $65,000 for a King Kong? You know what? The kind of guy who buys it, it means more to him than $65,000. I have friends in this hobby 
that $65,000 means absolutely nothing to. But $65,000 just won't get you a King Kong. Because the only way you can get a King Kong is if someone's willing to let go of one of the eight in the world. And that makes it almost priceless, right? Uh, but clearly there is a price for everything. But congratulations to the new owner. Congratulations to the seller. I'll tell you guys a crazy story. Like a friend of mine had a chance to pick up a King Kong back when like, you know, no one really was collecting as much as they are today for like $6,000. He's like, no, nah, I don't want it. He's kicking himself today. All right, what else is going on? So the first Black Knight limited editions are now shipping. I saw one in box. Congratulations, Stern. You once again continue to show everybody how it's done. The LEs of Black Knight are shipping. Uh, take note is Jersey Jack. You got to do it closer to reveal. Now, I don't think they're going to sell all 600, but you know why. Uh, those games are going to be available for a while. Like, look at Deadpool. Deadpool's a great game. I jumped on Deadpool uh, th this past Thursday. Deadpool LE is like a really, really fun game. The game has come a long way. Game looks great. Game shoots a lot of fun. The callouts are great. I can kind of see now why I did win uh, best callout. Uh, but the game is fun. You know, I think, but here's the thing. Deadpool LEs, still sitting, right? Zombie Yeti art package looks incredible. Still sitting at MSRP. And they didn't sell all of them. And it's crazy that they didn't sell all Deadpools. Uh, and, you know, considering that is a, a really, you know, fun theme. I do think Deadpool as a theme, though, doesn't really hit the target demo. There's a reason why. Like, these guys are older. The guys who collect pinball, they're just a little bit older. They're not into the Deadpool comics. If they're into the Deadpool movie, they might be disappointed because it's not in the game. But, but look, it's a great game. If you want a really good stern game that's solid, uh, you could probably get a few hundred bucks off of Deadpool LE because these distributors are just sitting on them. All right, what else is going on? I also played a Monster Bash remake LE. Now, I played these games at Adam's apartment in New York City. He's got this amazing pinball loft. Adam, thank you again for having me over there. Um, and I want to give a shout out to his son, Tucker. Awesome kid. Lucky, lucky man. I wish my dad had like a loft like that with all those pinball machines. Uh, my dad just handed me like a stack of car magazines. It was like, here you go. Uh, but it, here's the deal. Um, I learned a lot Thursday night. And I'm going to explain a little bit more. But Monster Bash LE, God, the game is gorgeous. I, I, haven't, I had never stood over an LE in a home environment that was just like, wow. I mean, it, it really is, is worth the wait. So I know that some of you out there are still waiting for your Monster Bash LEs. Let me tell you something. It's going to be worth the wait. You're never going to want to sell this game. It's, it's just kind of, it's hard to look at Monster Bash LE and then look at Monsters and be like, they are the same price. It, it's, it's not even close. I mean, it, it, that game is kind of perfect. It really is. And for those of you complaining about it's too easy and this, that, this, this or that, so what was interesting at Adam's place is the New York City tournament guys all came over and set up the legs in the back to be at the highest point to make the games more difficult because they're all going to be training there for the New York City Pinball Championships. And I'll tell you that when you do that, any easy game becomes a lot harder uh, when you when you have the legs jacked up all the way. All right. The other thing that I learned was this, and then I'm going to call it a day, guys. Adam has some older games, and I normally don't talk about EMs or solid states, but I'll tell you this, when you, I don't really play the old games. And, and, you know, this podcast is always about the new stuff, but I'll say this. He has a mint, Stargazer, Evil Knievel, um, I think it was, it was Gorgar. Uh, and I'll say, I'll say that I was so surprised how much fun it was 
when you're playing some of those solid state games and you are just playing pinball in, in, in somewhat of its like purest form and there's no LCD, there's nothing to look up at, when you explain what to do in the game to people, it's all there on the play field. And you know me, I, I'm such like a modern sort of contemporary new in box kind of podcaster, but I have to say we had more fun just playing the old stuff sort of getting back to the basics of pinball. And, and I think in, in a group setting, in a social setting, those old machines are far more appealing because they're far less intimidating in terms of just knowing what to do. And so within a few seconds, 30 seconds to a couple minutes, you know exactly how to play the game. And then you're playing the game and the sounds are really awesome. You know, the artwork on these games too. I mean, I have to say, like you look over like a stargazer and you're like, wow, like, the art is just so cool. It's It has this like retro vibe to the games too and the sounds are so retro. And I can tell why people love TNA because I feel like it's a modern version of why people love the games from the solid state era. And it's just really, really simple and fun and you, you're right into it. Um, so I, I, I think it was a little bit of like a Canada awakening where I, I, I sort of started to really, really enjoy games from another era that don't cost a fortune of course adam's games are like professionally restored i mean they they're they're like better than new uh but you get this appreciation the other thing i really love about these games and when you're playing in a social setting is even if you're good or bad i feel like the games are hard like they're kind of brutal in a way that kind of evens out the playing field and the reason why the playing field is really evened out in these games is that there's not an advantage because you've memorized the most ridiculously complex rule sets of the game. There's nothing to memorize other than I have to hit these targets. I then, you know, shoot that spinner. And that's when you get big points. Like he, you know, Adam would be like, just, just, you just got to keep railing on that spinner. And it's like, my God, I, I just fell in love with the simplicity of it all. The other thing is this, and I'm just going to say this. The other thing you feel when you play the games, you feel more. Like it has like this analog feel to it and it just feels much more like mechanical. Like, I don't know, it's just about like steel on like steel in a way. And then you jump on the new games and they feel plasticky. They just feel a little bit cheaper. It just doesn't feel like as substantial. And so I'm not going to keep on going on about this, but I'm going to say I'm now a fan of some of the older stuff. I, I, I definitely think a collection should have a little bit of both. And so that's all I'm going to say is that this this newbie to the hobby sort of understands a little bit more now what pinball is all about. And I think for those of you out there, uh, broaden your horizons a little bit on pinball and you might be surprised the kinds of games you'll really enjoy and you'll start to appreciate pinball in a way which you wouldn't you you wouldn't necessarily think you could. I didn't think I would ever really have that much fun playing those older games, but I did. Um, maybe I get slammed now for being a hypocrite because I don't talk about them. Because you know you know how people get. Whenever Canada gets excited about something, people don't like it. They just want me to be angry, but I'm not. I'm happy. I love pinball. I love my life. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I got my mom a beautiful gift. We had a nice dinner last night. She is the love of my life next to Brenda. My mother is the reason why this podcast exists. She's an incredible Sicilian woman 
who taught me to always speak your mind and never hold back and don't let others tell you you can't say what you want to say. So thank you, mother, for raising me and raising your son to be the world's number one pinball podcast. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 